Hi, everybody. My name's Polly, and I'm an alcoholic. And by God's grace, in a program called Alcoholics Anonymous, I haven't had a drink since April the 11th of 1977, and for that, I am truly grateful. Thanks. Boy, I tell you, uh, I get nervous when I come to a meeting and there's not but one person that's sober longer than me. <laughs> that's uh, I couldn't believe that. That's uh, that's saw some people from the class of '77, but I I believe there was only one from the class of '76. So I guess if you hang around for a little while, I remember somebody saying something about. Uh, you know, I don't know what you do when you've been in AA for a long time. There's not people more sober than you. And I never think about that because in the group that I go to, 18 years of sobriety, you're a newcomer. And uh, I'm still the person that goes and gets the coffee. <laughs> so it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, I just can't thank your group and Nancy enough for inviting me to come to Cincinnati to share at this meeting. Um I've been looking forward to it. I love, I've met a lot of people in this area and it's so fun to come back and get to see people again. And, and that's a really neat thing of there was a lot of newcomers here tonight. And what's really wonderful about the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, if you'll just suit up and show up and keep coming back and doing the deal, people will ask you back. And that's, you know, that's really nice because before I came to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, people were not asking me back. And I'm really grateful to have that opportunity. And I had the opportunity of uh, Nancy and Terry picking me up tonight and taking me to a beautiful bed and breakfast and then to dinner. And it's just it's just wonderful to be sober. And I get to do this because I'm in Alcoholics Anonymous. And if you would have told me that my life would be like it is today, if you'll just go to Alcoholics Anonymous, work these steps, be of service, talk to God, your life will change, and you'll get to go to Cincinnati. I would have never believed that in all my life. And and one of the things that I'd like to say if you're new tonight is that I love being sober, and I love Alcoholics Anonymous. And 18 years later, after coming to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I am more involved in this program than I have ever been involved in it. I sponsor more people than I have ever sponsored. I do more service than I've ever done. Because at 18 years of sobriety, I have more to lose than I did when I got here 18 years ago. I have a lot to lose today. And I don't want to ever stop doing what I know works because of how much, how beautiful my life is in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous today. And I'm not going to stand up here tonight and tell you one of these rags to riches story, because that's not my story. In fact, my story, as far as that goes, is kind of a riches to rags story. But the things that I have in my life today are the things that money can't buy. And there's some words that that mean a lot to me today and that people use around me. And that's like words like integrity, honest, thoughtful, caring. And that's because I've suited up and showed up. 
for meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous for 18 years. And I can assure you that those were not the kind of words that were used about me 18 years ago. They were more like selfish, conceited, don't care about anybody but yourself. Those were the kind of words that were used around me. And because of this program, I am a woman today with dignity. And I don't know if, you know, women alcoholics understand this. I don't know what kind of a woman alcoholic you were. But when I came to rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I heard things like, men hate what they've done, but women hate what they have become. And I hated what I had become. But because of this program, I love what I have become. Because of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, tonight I am the woman that I've always wanted to be. And I'm so grateful. Um, I'd kind of like to tell you a little bit about the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says that we should tell in a general way what it used to be like, what happened, and what I'm trying to be like today. And I'm going to do that in a general way. But I need to let you know, but besides being a recovering alcoholic, I am also a recovering Southern Baptist. So I came, I came to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous with a lot of old ideas about God. And um, I don't know if you've ever listened to Clancy's tape. I'm going to talk about a disease of perception. And the first time I heard about a disease of perception was on a tape that Clancy has called alcoholism a disease of perception. And I truly believe that I have a disease of perception because, you see, I don't see things the way they really are. My perception of reality is distorted, and I do not see the truth. I need to suit up and show up for meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous because I need you to keep me in touch with the truth. Because without you, I don't have a clue what the truth is. Now, I can remember my mother saying things to me like, Polly, wherever did you get that idea? Nobody said that to you. But I would have sworn they said it to me. Now, that Baptist church, my mother never heard the same things I heard. But I used to hear these preachers, and they'd get up behind these podiums, and they'd slam their fists on the podiums, and their faces would get red, and their veins would stick out, and they'd lean into the congregation, and they'd say things like, if you've fought it, you've done it. Now, I don't know about any of you, but I was an alcoholic in the making, and I fought a lot. So I started to just take on this attitude of what's the use? There's no way that I'm ever going to be good enough for God. There's no way that I'm ever going to be able to do what these people tell me I have to do. There's no way if I have to do what they say I have to do that God's going to love a person like me. Now, wherever I was when they were talking about, you know, Jesus loves me, I don't know because I didn't hear that. I just heard about how the devil's going to get you. And then they would talk about this God that lives up in the sky and that you had to go through these people to get to God. And I came to a room called Alcoholics Anonymous, and you gave me a big book. And in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it tells me where God is. 
and it says that God is deep within. And in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it tells me how to find God, and it says to search fearlessly. And today, God as I understand him speaks to me through the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know about any of you, but God has never sent me a fax, but he has sent me you. And you have always told me the truth. Now, I also have a higher power who's got a dynamite sense of humor, and I'd like to share that with you. My name is Polly. It's not Pauline or Paula, it's Polly. And if you're a little girl and your name is Polly, you're going to be teased a lot. And it's going to be things like Polly wants a cracker and Polly Wally doodle all the time. And uh, I don't know about any of you guys, but I'm sensitive. And I don't like to be teased. And I don't like to be laughed at. But what I've learned in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous is there's no negatives in God's world. It's just my perception that's negative. Everything has a positive result. And today, I love having the name Polly. Because I can usually come into rooms when there's this many people, and when somebody says Polly, I'm pretty sure they're talking to me. There's just not very many Pollys in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't know that I was an alcoholic, but I knew that I was a drunk, and I knew that I was a lush. And I used to drive down the freeways in Dallas, Texas, and I used to pray to God to have heart disease or cancer or something because I knew that I was dying and I just wanted to die of something respectable. And today I know that the disease of alcoholism is my greatest gift because if I didn't have the disease of alcoholism, I wouldn't qualify for the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. And everything I am or hope to be, I owe to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Fifteen years ago, I married Dave. Dave's last name is Pistol. My name is now Polly Pistol. I will assure you, you will not walk around on planet Earth with a name like Polly Pistol and not learn to lighten up. So, I've learned to be laughed at and I've learned to be teased. And I loved it when I came here before because you had this conference name that you named Rule 62. And I love that because I truly believe that we definitely need to not take ourselves so damn seriously. And I'm truly grateful for that. I am also living, breathing proof that you can come to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and not come from alcoholic parents. I do not come from the disease of alcoholism. In fact, I had this wonderful revolution revolution, revelation, <laughs> somewhere I learned, I forgot to, how to speak English, um, and that was, until I came to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I did not even know an alcoholic. I had not even met an alcoholic, because my ex-husband was in the Air Force, and of all the people that was in the Air Force, I'm the only one in AA, and furthermore, I'm the only one that needs to be. I did not even know another alcoholic until I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. So the only alcoholics that I'd ever seen were in Days of Wine and Roses and I'll Cry Tomorrow and in the movies. And, and I just, I had no idea that alcoholism was my problem. When I came to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, people said, identify with the feelings. Because... The way I drank and the way you drank may be two different things, but how we felt about the way we drank are the things that make us alike. 
And people began to talk about their alcoholic moms and their alcoholic dads. And there's a man in Dallas, Texas, and I used to remember him listening to him talk, and he would talk about how as a child you walk up to your house and you listen to the sounds of the house because you see the disease of alcoholism has a sound, the sounds of alcoholism. Well, you see, alcoholism wasn't going on in my home, but I would listen for the sounds because my dad, I truly believe with all my heart, that the only difference between my dad and I is my dad just forgot to take a drink. Everything else was there. My father was a man who was full of rage. And my dad would have fits of rage just like a periodic alcoholic. And my mother would say things to me like, Polly, if you'll just be nice, then Daddy won't have one of his fits. But you see, Daddy always had one of his fits. And when Daddy would have one of his fits, Furniture would fly, and he'd curse and yell, and he'd knock my mom around. And I'd look at my dad, and I'd say the very same thing about my dad that I heard you say about your alcoholic dad, and that was, there's no way I'll ever be like you. And I'd look at my mom, and I'd think she's such a wimp. Why don't you stand up for yourself? How can you let him treat you like that? And I'd look at her, and I'd say, there's no way I'll ever be like you. And the irony of it is, is I became the worst of both my parents. I truly believe that the disease of alcoholism is a disease of negativity. Because these were good people. This is not all my parents were about. These were good people. Yet these were the things that stuck in my mind coming into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I believe I came into the rooms the worst of both my parents, an angry wimp. I was one of these these people that was full of rage. But see, I'm the person in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that talks about manipulation through kindness. Prior to coming to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I never did anything just because I wanted to do it for fun and for free. I did it because I needed you to validate my very existence. I needed you to tell me what a nice person Polly is. Look what nice things she does. And then if I didn't think you appreciated it enough, then I would get very upset and, you know, take all that in and look what I've done for them and they don't appreciate it and take all that anger and rage and I would go home and I would take it out on my two little boys. And you see, nobody took it out on me. And prior to coming to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, we were talking about that a little bit here. I had not a clue what love was. I am an only child, and I know today that my parents absolutely not only loved me, they adored me. But I didn't know anything about that until I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. There's a guy in Washington, D.C. that's called Sandy B. And Sandy says, we come into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and our receivers are broken. I just didn't know how to receive love. And consequently, I couldn't give any love. I had no idea what all that was about. And the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says that I'm suffering from a spiritual malady. And the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous tells me that I'm cut off from the sunshine of the spirit. And the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous tells me 
that nothing is enough when I'm suffering from a spiritual malady. You can't love me enough. You can't do enough. You can't give me enough. I'm so grateful today that I know that I have a disease that's spiritual in nature and that the way I heal from a disease that is hopeless of mind and body is I be, as I am given a program called Alcoholics Anonymous and the miracle is, is one alcoholic sharing with another alcoholic. The miracle of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. When I was 18 years old, I married an Air Force officer, and I just knew that I had found my knight in shining armor, and we were going to sail off into the sunset and live happily ever after. Well, I had married a sack pilot, and this man was going to be gone, and he was going to be gone for years at a time, and I was going to have to learn to be responsible for myself, and I had no idea how to be responsible for myself. Now, I am one of these people that has never, ever wanted to suit up and show up for life. I have never wanted to be responsible for my own life. Now, I don't know what you call it in Ohio and Kentucky, but when we pout in Texas, we call it puffing up. You know how you just kind of puff up? And then it would be your responsibility to find out what was wrong with me. And then it would be your responsibility to make me happy. And if you didn't, you didn't, you didn't love me. And I love what Clancy says. Clancy says that we're people who have to be treated special just to feel average. And if you don't treat us special, then we feel rejected. And I understood that. I've never been at, what I have tried to learn in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous is just to be a worker among workers. You see, I was one of the people the big book talks about. I'm either at the top of the heap or the bottom of the heap. What I try to learn in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous is just to be one among many. <clears throat> I took a drink of alcohol. It didn't appear to be any big deal. My husband talks about taking a drink of alcohol and it went down and, you know, he chased that feeling till the days he entered the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's not my story. I took a drink of alcohol and it appeared that nothing really happened. And I'm not a person who progressed to the morning drink. I simply started with the morning drink. We had, <coughs> we had these things in the Air Force called coffees but they served more than coffee. So it was Bloody Marys and screwdrivers in the morning, sherry before lunch, martinis before dinner, and black Russians and stingers after. And it never, ever occurred to me that there was anything wrong with my drinking. Along about 1962, we're stationed in a place called Loring Air Force Base, Maine. And I've got these two little boys. I do not have a clue how to be a parent. I have no tools in which to parent these children. And it's 50 below zero, and I can't send these kids out to play. And these children are driving me crazy. And I'm having a nervous breakdown every 20 minutes. And I went to an Air Force doctor, and he said, take these. And from 1962 until 1977, when I came to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I drank alcohol, and I took Librium and Valium and Secanol and Mimetol. And I'm here to tell you, if you take those kind of drugs and drink alcohol, you are not an active alcoholic. <clears throat> I call myself... 
I call myself a couch potato alcoholic. I did my dying on my living room sofa. I just laid there and watched soap operas and listened to Joan Baez sing the blues. <clears throat> I believe with all my heart that the disease of alcoholism is a family disease and that anybody who lives with a practicing alcoholic is affected by the disease of alcoholism. Now, I have a son who's recovering in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and James' story sounds very different from my story because James talks about being a little boy, and he talks about his mother being passed out on the sofa, but he doesn't know that she's passed out. And this little boy walks back and forth in front of this sofa, gripped with terror, because his father is gone, and he's certain that his mother is dead. That's the disease of alcoholism. It totally and completely traumatizes our children. I'm so grateful today for a program called Alcoholics Anonymous. Because of this program, I have had the opportunity to begin a healing with my children. Because of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, you have allowed me to have the courage to sit down with my children and tell them that I am a child abuser and that what I did to them was not right and how sorry I am for the way I treated them and to make no excuses and to tell them they and to say things like you shouldn't feel that way. I am so grateful that because of a program called Alcoholics Anonymous, you have allowed me to be responsible and accountable for my actions and my feelings, past and present. I am so grateful that you have given me that kind of courage. Because of that, I have a relationship today with my children beyond my greatest expectations. I want to just tell you, I don't tell a lot of drunkalog because uh, I slept through it, and you probably would too. Um, but there is one thing I want to talk about, just mention. I don't know if there's any people in the, that are here tonight that had to do some control drinking. But um, if you go to cocktail parties and things like that in the Air Force, it is really not acceptable behavior for wives to be drunk and disorderly. And I would go to a cocktail party and I would just sip a drink. And I'm here to tell you that a four-hour cocktail party can be a lifetime. I just couldn't wait till I got home and could drink all I want and pass out. I didn't know anything about a disease called alcoholism. I just knew that I desperately needed to drink. <clears throat> One night, if it was a quarter to nine, I was passed out on my sofa. I was always passed out on my sofa. And my husband jerked me up, and he sat me at the kitchen table, and he said, Polly, alcohol and pills are our problem. And if you just didn't drink, and if you just didn't take these pills, everything would be okay. And he started pouring the booze out, and he started throwing the pills down the garbage disposal. And I just sort of sat there in my comatose state, and when he was done, I went and passed back out on the sofa. Now, I had taken to drinking things like vanilla extract, scope, and NyQuil cough medicine. And you see, somehow in my mind, I thought that it all had to do with smell. And if you couldn't smell me, then you couldn't tell I'd been drinking. So that night, I passed out on my sofa, and I came to, and I was really sick. 
and I didn't know if I could get to the 7-Eleven to buy me a bottle of NyQuil. And that night I found myself crawling around my garage floor, going through the plastic bags, turning up those bottles to just get one drop. I had reached that place in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that talks about the dilemma of the alcoholic, where to drink is to die and not to drink is to die. And I absolutely had to have a drink of alcohol. And that night my husband caught me downing a bottle of rubbing alcohol. I had to drink to live. Shortly thereafter, I totaled an automobile in Irving, Texas. And that would bring me to treatment for the first time. And uh, I'm a blackout drinker, so to make a very long story short, uh, I ended up calling the police, telling them that my car was stolen, and I was taken to the Irving police station. And my husband was there with the police when they picked me up. And I got to see that look on the non-alcoholic's face that just doesn't understand why we do the things we do. And this policeman looked at my husband with so much disgust, and he says, why don't you just take her home and sober her up? And on the way home, my husband says, Polly, there's a treatment center, and it's not far from our house, and I wish you would go. And that night, I entered treatment for the first time. Now, this was no fancy jitter joint. <clears throat> this was a county detox. And I went into this county detox for seven days. Now, I had never been to an AA meeting. I had never seen another alcoholic. And I went into these AA meetings, and I loved you guys. <clears throat> I absolutely loved you. <clears throat> Excuse me. But there was something way de down deep inside that said, Polly, people like you don't become alcoholic. And I love what my husband says. He says that Dr. T-Bolt talks about two characteristics found in every alcoholic. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and that's grandiosity and defiant individuality. And Dave says only an alcoholic can lay in the gutter feeling superior to those looking down on him. <clears throat> Here I was, laying in the gutter, feeling superior to those looking down on me. So after that seven days, I had what we call in Texas a jitter house romance, you know, where sick falls in love with sick and you walk off into happy destiny. Well, we walked off into happy destiny for 58 days. And I was brought back into that treatment center more dead than alive. I had reached that place in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that talks about pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization because I had been beaten up in numerous and sundry other things, and now I knew what the problem was. The problem was sobriety. And you see, I have just defined the disease of alcoholism. I almost wrecked my car the first time I heard Clancy's tape on alcoholism when he said, alcohol has nothing to do with the disease of alcoholism. Because, you see, the problem was that day, as I knew, that sobriety was the problem. You see, if alcohol were the problem, then detox centers would send out well people. But the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says that alcohol is but a symptom. We have to get down to the causes and conditions. And the big book says that the disease rests in the mind. And if I don't treat the disease of alcoholism, I will surely drink again. And I had no idea 
that I had just defined the disease of alcoholism because I knew that there was no way I could live sober. I could not live with the kind of mother I'd become, the kind of wife I'd become, the kind of daughter I'd become. I couldn't live with what had happened in that motel room. And I knew that there was no way that I could live inside my own skin sober. And when that seven days was up, I left that treatment center. And I got a bottle of scotch. And I got a bottle of Valium. And I checked into a motel. I don't believe that there is anybody in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous that does not have an Eskimo in your life. And an Eskimo is someone who leads us to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Maybe you're here because a spouse says, we can't live with your drinking anymore. Or maybe you're here because your parents said, you can't live in this house anymore because your drinking is destroying the rest of the family. Or maybe you're here because you got a nudge from the judge. Or maybe you're here... Because your job says, if you don't get your act together, you can't work here any longer. Whatever. Somehow, some way, we're led into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I had such a woman in my life. And she knew nothing about the disease of alcoholism, but she loved me. And she said that day that something came over her. And today I know what that something was. That was God working in my life through her. And this lady drove around until she found my car parked outside this motel. And I hadn't shut the door all the way. It was on a half latch. And she pushed it open. And she found me laying there. And on April the 8th of 1977, I was pronounced dead on arrival in a hospital in Bedford, Texas. Now, needless to say, that didn't take because I'm standing here tonight. But I need to tell you... <laughs> about the miracle of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know how we all go to the meeting before the meeting or the meeting after the meeting, and we all tell our, can you top this story? Well, you know, I had all my affairs sober in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and, I mean, I didn't have one of those, can you top this story? And I hadn't been to jail, and I hadn't done a lot of things that you guys had said you did. So my can you top this story was, well, I was pronounced dead on arrival feeling nothing because you see I didn't know anything about God's grace I didn't know anything about the gift of grace tonight because of a program called Alcoholics Anonymous and the loving God that has presented himself to me in this program I know that I walk in grace and grace if you look it up in Webster's Dictionary is a gift unearned I have done nothing to earn the gift of sobriety. This gift has been freely given to me. And everybody who walks through the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous is given the gift of sobriety, the gift of grace. The really sad, unfortunate thing is, is that most people give it back. In our daily reflections, there's a reading in there, and it says, Sobriety is God's gift to me. What I do with that sobriety is my gift back to God. There isn't anything that you could ask me to do in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous that I would not be willing to do because of what has been so freely given to me. I am so grateful that 
I cannot possibly do enough service in this program. I cannot possibly listen to enough fist steps or set up enough chairs or make enough coffee in order to pay back what has so freely been given to me. I had this secret for a very long time because, you see, I just couldn't get this feeling that you would talk about when you talked about God. I just never could ever get that feeling, and it was a secret. And you would talk about your higher power, and and I just didn't have that feeling because, you see, I didn't know anything about the grace. And I ended up finally in one of those fancy jitter joints in Dallas, Texas, on April the 11th of 1977, and I'm here to tell you that I was court-committed by a Fort Worth judge. In 1977, the state of Texas did not take very kindly to you trying to take your life. So they took things into their own hands. And I was court-committed to treatment. People like me who don't become alcoholic have been committed to treatment. And in this treatment center, it was a five-step treatment center. And uh, the fourth step was one of these... Hazelton uh, inventories, one of these uh, inventories that you do, I was born, and I took one of those inventories, and you write your whole life story out, you know, and in 19, about five years of sobriety, Dave and I had moved to Michigan, and I had gotten another AA sponsor, and I started, to, and I told her this big secret I have, I said, I have this secret, and I said, I just don't have a relationship with God. Not anything like you talk about I hear in meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. And and I, I just don't want anybody to find out that I don't have this relationship. And she said, well, Polly, have you worked the steps? And I said, I have worked the steps. And she says, well, why don't you tell me about it? And I began to tell her how I worked the steps. And when we got to the fourth step, she said, well, that makes a wonderful novel but it does nothing for inventory. And so at five years of sobriety, I did an inventory, exactly as it's laid out in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, with all four columns. And I got introduced to the magic fourth column. And I got introduced to my part in it. And at five years of sobriety, I began to know about responsibility and accountability for my actions and my feelings, past and present. And I am so grateful for that because the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, I don't know about any of you, but it's apt to piss you off first, or at least it did me. (laughs) The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says that most of my problems are of my own making. Thank God. That's the good news, because if my problems are of anybody else's making, the only way I'm going to get better is if you change. But if my problems are of my own making, then I'm the one who has to change. And I'm so grateful today to know that I am my own problem, because you have given me a way to take care of my problems in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm so grateful today that I'm the problem. Alcoholics Anonymous, we began to do the inventory and then we do, we have our character defects removed. And one of the things that I'm real clear about is step six and seven. I know today, I, I sometimes kind of get confused when I hear people say they're working on their defects. 
I don't exactly know what that means. Because in my big book, it tells me that God removes my defects and that only the ones that stand in the way of my usefulness to him. So today I know that the only way that my character defects are removed is that I hand them up to God as I understand him. And then we have the magic eighth step where we make a list and then the ninth step. And I believe that the ninth step is a freedom step. And there's a guy by the name of Keith L. And Keith talks about the magic of being able to say, I'm wrong. Thank God I'm wrong. And today I believe that. I know that when I can make amends to somebody I'm hurt, that I have hurt, I am set free. And I think about that little wimpy mother and, uh, you know, my perception of reality is distorted because my mother is 78 years old and she's still employed. She's self-supporting through her own contribution. I don't think wimps do that. These are the kind of things that are being brought into my mind. The things that my parents, how much they loved me, and I never knew that. And thanks to a program called Alcoholics Anonymous, you have allowed me to be responsible and accountable to make amends. My daddy died when I was two years sober. Thank you for this program. Because when my daddy died, I was becoming the daughter I always wanted to be. And I was there for him. And for that, I am so grateful. When I was three years sober, I married another member of this fellowship. And uh, Dave and I often laugh. We met each other when I was six months sober. And uh, Dave is 19 years sober, and I'm 18 years sober. And uh, we often say that if we'd have known we were going to get married, we'd have never told each other the things we told each other. And... Uh, <laughs> We were like best buddies, and at three years of sobriety, uh, Dave and I married. And uh, Dave knew all about me, and Dave looked at me, and he said, Polly, I don't want to have an affair with you. I want to marry you. And see, things like that aren't supposed to happen to people like me. <clears throat> and Dave has been my gift in unconditional love. Dave has absolutely loved me no matter what. Now, Dave and I are really different people. Dave is one of these kind of quiet, easygoing kind of guys. And Dave likes to throw a 40-pound pack on his back, and he likes to walk around on top of mountains. And those are not the kind of things I like to do. That does not sound like fun to me. <laughs> but what Dave and I have learned to be is the very best Dave you can be and the very best Polly you can be. And then we come together, and we bring the very best of each other. I had a beautiful AA sponsor when I first got sober, and Frank is in the big meeting in the sky now. And Frank used to say to me, he says, Polly, if you want to be happy all the days of your life and you want to have a good marriage, you treat Dave like a newcomer. And he says, how do we treat newcomers? With love, patience, and tolerance. And he says, your love is going to be like two oak trees, and you're going to plant it firmly in the ground, and that's going to be your AA program, and that's going to be Dave's AA program, and then that program grows strong, and then one day, as you grow and mature, you'll look up, and you won't be able to tell where one tree begins and the other one ends, 
And those are the things that you taught me in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And Dave and I started watching couples in AA. And my AA sponsor is 38 years sober. And before her husband died, it'll be almost a year. I don't know if any of you knew Red Aldridge, but Ellen is my sponsor. And Red was a wonderful member of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he died a year ago. And Ellen and Red had been married for 31 years, and they were two alcoholics married together, and I wanted what she had. So I did what she, I've started doing what she does. And then we met this couple in Omaha, and they started talking about working the traditions in their relationship. And Dave and I started to work the traditions in our relationship. And then we came to like, what a concept. We read the traditions at our group, and we always say, the traditions are to the group as the steps are to the individual. And as we began to work the traditions in our relationship, we began to change. I'm so grateful because the program of Alcoholics Anonymous talks about giving me gifts beyond my greatest expectation. Great events will come to pass. When we read A Vision for You, we talk about great events will come to pass. Dave and I did not know how to have a relationship. We both knew how to take a hostage, but we didn't know how to have a relationship. And because of this program and because of what you've given us, Dave and I will celebrate October the 27th. 15 years of marriage in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I love him more today than I did 15 years ago. And those are the things that you gave me. You taught me things like love is an action. If you love someone, you act like you love them, and you treat them like you love them. If you love someone, you don't push their face in and tell them you love them. You treat them like you love them. And that's what Dave and I have begun. That's what we do in our home. And I'm here to tell you, some days that's not easy. Some days it's not easy to act like you love someone when you're very upset. <laughs> Dave and I have always been friends. We've always been lovers. And in the past three years, we have developed a partnership. And, um, you know, you, you think things, I have these expectations. I'm, I know none of you have any expectations. <laughs> but see, I have these expectations. You're sober for a while, you grow older, and things are supposed to work out, you know. You do all the right things, like you go to college and you get a college education and you, you just do the right things and, you know, you go along and one day you retire and life will get a little easier and all that kind of stuff. And especially if you're a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous, all these things are going to happen. Well, three years ago, my husband got laid off from his job. And uh, Dave and I were a little devastated, but, you know, this just doesn't seem like it's going to be too big a deal. I mean, this is a highly educated computer scientist. I'm sure he'll find another job. But what we learned was is that the world wasn't looking for a 57-year-old computer scientist. And that if something didn't happen really fast, Dave and I were going to lose our house. And, you know, I was really shaking my fist at God. And, like, 
this is not supposed to happen to somebody with 16 years of sobriety. This happens to newcomers, not people who have been around a while. And look at all I do in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. How can this be happening to me? Well, I knew if we, you know, if Dave didn't find a job pretty soon, we were going to lose his house. Well, Dave didn't find a job very soon, so we lost his house. But you know what? There are no negatives in God's world. Newcomer walks into our meeting and says, Oh, my God, I can't stay sober. i got to find a job. I'm losing my house. And it's like, sweetheart, sit down, been there, done that. No problem. <laughs> and what we learn from this is, like I said, when we come into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, our receivers are broken. And what Dave and I had the opportunity to do was to allow people to do for us. And what we also learned is, is that if you're the person on the receiving end, you're very vulnerable. See, if you're always the one doing the giving, you're always in control. And Dave and I found ourselves in a very vulnerable place. And it's been, it's been beautiful because Dave and I did not, we didn't holler at each other. It was nobody's fault. We just doubled down on the meetings. And what we found out was, is that the house was just a house. A job was just a job. But the beauty of it was that he and I came out of this loving each other more than we ever, ever dreamed possible. I'm so grateful to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I want to tell you quickly about my two sons. When I came into the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, it was very obvious to me that my 14-year-old son was a full-blown drug addict. And I used to walk into rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'd say, this isn't fair. How can this be happening to me? I'm a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was told, Polly, you suit up and show up because you may be the only big book James ever reads. And when I was six and a half years sober, my son called me up and he said, Mom, I want what you have. And six and a half years before, he didn't want what I had. Six and a half years before, I was supposed to attend a function at his school. And he said, don't you dare show up at my school because I am ashamed of you. And six and a half years later, he wants what I have. Year before last, on January the 3rd, 1994, I had the privilege at my home group on Monday night Seal Beach Speakers Meeting to give my son a 10-year cake in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And my son got up at that podium that, that night and he said, My mom was the big book I could not read. So if nobody's told you that you make a difference, let me please tell you, that you make a difference. Every person who is a sober member of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous has a responsibility. It is a responsibility to be a sober member of this program. When you walk outside these doors, you don't know who's watching. Because you see, this is a program of attraction. And we don't know who's watching. You see, I've got one of those little round... Uh, emblems on my car with a triangle in it. A lot of people know what that means. And I drive an L.A. freeway every single day. And if I'm driving down that freeway flipping people off, they're probably going to say, C.A.A. doesn't work. I believe to be a sober member of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous is a responsibility because of the way you live and the way you act may be the big book that somebody else is reading. So if nobody's told you today that you make a difference, please let me, because I believe that we make a difference. My son is gonna is like 11 and a half years sober now, and he's married to another member of this fellowship. 
and they are they are members in good standing of the North Shore Alano Group in Evanston, Illinois. My oldest son is one of our Alanons, and you know our Alanons need one of us, or they don't have a purpose for living. And uh, Russ is the one who took care of me and put me to bed. And I don't know when's the last time you've seen a passed out drunk, but we don't breathe too good. And many is a time I've come to with this child screaming, Mom, wake up, wake up, are you dead? And me to come to and see the fear in his eyes. And you know, for the past 18 years, I haven't had to come to and see that kind of fear in anybody's eyes because of something I'm doing. And for that, I've been overpaid in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, what would a good alcoholic do if his alcoholic sobered up but go marry a practicing alcoholic? And she sobered up, and one more time, Russ didn't have a purpose for living. And Russ started to try to destroy his life. And you see, I'm a person that understands depression. I've had depression in this program and out of this program. And I understood what that kind of desperation was. And I understood how it was to hurt yourself physically so that you didn't have to feel it emotionally. And my son started to hurt himself, and he started to carve on himself. And, and I was just devastated. And he began to try to take his life. And there was, you know, by then Dave and I had moved to California, and I wanted to just get on anything smoking to go save my son. And again, it was rooms like this that said, Polly, you just suit up and show up, and you let God take care of Russ. And God moved Russ to um, Michigan, and Michigan, and uh, he divorced the lady in Texas, and he married another lady in Michigan, and they moved to New Jersey, and a hell began. And my daughter-in-law is calling me up on the on the phone, and she just doesn't understand why Russ does the things he does and why he tries to hurt himself. And um, about seven years ago, I was doing something very similar to what I'm doing tonight. I was, I was, except I was a speaker in the morning. And my daughter-in-law had called me on Friday night, and she had told me that my son was in the hospital one more time. He put a pair of scissors in his stomach. And I just knew that there was no way I could stand it. And I got up that morning to try to talk, and I was just really torn down. But you know, when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. And this man walked up to me after that meeting, and he said, Young lady, you and I need to talk. And we need to get into the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And you need to know that God either is or he isn't. He is either all things or he's nothing. And that Russ is God's kid, and what God does with his kid is none of your business. And I was able to release my son, and that's been... Almost seven years ago, and Russ hadn't tried to hurt himself in seven years. And I'm here to tell you, my friends, that's a great event that's come to pass. There are so many great events in my life. A great event really came to pass on May the 23rd, 1993. And his name is Ryan David Klinger Lee, and he's my grandson. And he's the cutest little boy you'd ever want to see. And he's got the whole head full of these blonde curls, and he's just adorable. And about a year ago, we got some news, and we were told that Ryan's profoundly deaf. And one more time, I'm shaking my fist at God. How can this be happening to us? Just look at what all I do in Alcoholics Anonymous. How can this be happening to us? But you see, one more time, it's my perception. 
my perception of reality is distorted. Because you see, I had no idea the gift of which we were being given. I had no idea what it was like to learn to communicate with someone who's deaf. Because you see, here's two families, because Kelly's in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and James is in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And here's two families that have been torn to pieces because of a disease called alcoholism. And because of this little boy who has to learn to speak sign language and because of a family that has come together to learn to communicate with him, we have healed as a family. And we are beginning to learn about a whole nother group of people that none of us learned about. Great events will come to pass. Now I'm going to tell you a story that's out of James's uh, story. And, uh, <clears throat> and it's about Ryan. It is real important that the program of Alcoholics Anonymous be just like it is today. I don't want this program to change. I don't want it all messed up with Freudian concepts, as Dr. Bob said. I need for the program of Alcoholics Anonymous to be just like it was for me when I came here 18 years ago. I need for this program to be just like it was for James when he came here 11 and a half years ago. Because, you see, I think Ryan's going to need you. When you have to run tests on little babies, you have to put them to sleep. So we took Ryan for this test, and they gave him the medication, and nothing happened. And they gave him the medication again, and nothing happened. And the third time, he finally went to sleep. And Ryan came to doing this. That's more in sign language. If you'd have told me to make a list of all the things I wanted in sobriety, I'd have never had the nerve to ask God to give me the things that he's given me. I'd have never had the nerve to ask God to give me a husband like Dave, friends like you. The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says left to me, I would have settled for so much less. The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says left to my own devices, I'll self-destruct. The very best I could do for me is to get me pronounced dead on arrival. But thanks to a program called Alcoholics Anonymous, you have breathed life into me. And tonight, I am the woman I always wanted to be. Tonight, I am a woman who is self-supporting through her own contribution. And for a year and a half, I was the primary breadwinner of my family. And I never, ever could suit up and show up for life. And it was very important that somebody else take care of me. I'm so grateful to a program called Alcoholics Anonymous. You have taught me how to be faithful to one man and to love that one man with all my heart for 15 years. And you've taught me about how to be a friend. And you've taught me about commitment. You've taught me about all the things good that I know in life. But the place where I had always felt like such a failure was my role as a mother. And my sons have given me the greatest gift because my sons have told me mom you are the mom we always wanted you to be and my friends that's a great event that's come to pass when I was in center hospital one of the counselors used to start every day with a prayer and I end my AA talks with it because it's what this program means to me I sought my God 
my God, I could not see. I saw my soul, my soul eluded me. I sought my brother, and I found all three. Thank you.